guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we are here on... You would look really excited. You you were making a fist right now. What's going on? I'm wired. I'm you're wired. wired? You're all ex- you're excited, excited about this? Yeah, no. Welcome back to another uh, midweek episode, a history throwback episode. Yep. Um, and before we get right into it, I will remind everyone of our Prototipo giveaway that yes. we're doing. I, I love the reviews everybody's been giving so far. You They're guys very are very entertaining. So and, if you don't know... We're giving away a Momo Prototipo steering wheel and a hub of your choice, which we haven't bought yet because we don't know what car we're going to be putting it on yep. because we don't know who would win. How do you win this? You go onto iTunes, you leave us a review along with some commentary or your, your thoughts or on the, the show. On your iPhone, just the podcast app. Not really iTunes, but it's okay. the podcast app on your phone. You can just leave a review there. Or on your machine your actual you computer machine, machine. <laughs> you like 75 years old how do just i work this machine? go to your your keyboard computer machine <laughs> yeah your your pc anyways that's i also want to remind everybody giveaway. to uh remind everybody to to spread the word tell your friends if you like what you hear tell someone else they will love you for it because if you like it your friends will probably like it too so we would and, really and appreciate we'll love that. you too yeah no <laughs> yeah we'll probably okay. love you so what um, do we got for this week jake what quit Quit rushing this thing, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I know you are. Well, people so, are going to no. have to find, wait till Monday to find out why I'm pumped because we're not going to talk about <laughs> the experience I'm having at this very moment. On Monday, you'll find out what that is. Right. So or you could call us and bug us about it, and maybe we'll call you back. Because I want to also promote our phone number that we have. Because Chris and I, we, we know things. You know, you could say we know things from lug nuts to fan belts. And that's why I came up with a vanity mnemonic for the phone number, Chris. Oh. While you were futzing around doing your thing. Okay, what is it? So give us a call at 612-LUG-O-BELT. <laughs> lug zero belt yeah so it's 612-584-0235-612 lug zero belt okay that works for me i'm so fine with that i said on instagram and i'm sure i'll be eating my words soon but i kind of i, I want to challenge people to like stump chris and i with our collective mechanical knowledge which we won't cheat by doing so like if you have a question we're not going to google it ahead of time i think it'll be more entertaining and hopefully helpful for you guys if you do have some car questions right all right so getting right into it so on this episode i a lot of these i have a specific like either technology or like thing that i'm interested in that i want to research okay and that's no different with this one i have a certain type of wheel actually that i wanted to research the history of but before we get into that as you know, I like to do kind of deep dives. So we're going to start at the beginning. And we teased this last week that we're going way back for this one. Okay. To 3500 BC. That's like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so this is the earliest of any of our history, history stories, of course. And 3500 BC is the year most researchers agree is the year when the wheel was invented. So when you said last week that it was 3500 BC, I'm like 99.99% of our... Our guys were like, well, it's probably not fire. It's not when fire was invented. Yeah, no. So I think you could have guessed anything to do with cars that far back. It's the invention of the wheel. Right. So anthropologists, do you know what anthropologists are, Chris? It's someone that looks up old cultures. Exactly. Studies old cultures. Study of old cultures. Anthropologists are actually stumped by our early ancestors. I thought this was interesting. Technically speaking, the wheel should have been invented long before it actually was. So you just look at some of the other more. So we just had dumb humans before. Yes, because well, we weren't dumb. That's what's weird about it. Well, imagine if they if they were supposed to have invented the wheel, but they hadn't. So they had like who know like pots and pans and like bronze. That's what I'm. So imagine someone being like. 
how the fuck did we not think of this sooner? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what Grog was saying to Thor or whatever. He's beating him over the head with a club. Right. So we had all these other advanced inventions like sewing needles, boats. We had boats before wheels, Chris. Well, boats are easy. We had rope. We had all these other things. And then the f- idea was finally conceived for a wheel. It wasn't even used for transportation. It, the first wheels were pottery wheels. No one thought to use it. What about for like grinding flour? Like you had the grinding wheel for flour. I wonder if that was used in that. Mm, I think that's later. You sure? Because that's well. You're pretty... thinking like a mortar and pestle. No, but they had like a grinding wheel that they would use, where they'd have like horses. Okay. Like they 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 had like wooden things that would go from the horse's right. harness onto the thing, and the horse would walk like in spokes. circles. Spokes yeah. on a wheel. Yep. yep. Spokes on a wheel, and the horse would go around, and it would grind like the the grain down into flour. Yeah. And flour that's mill. What they, yeah. Basically. Sure. But the, but it was a wheel. It's it okay. literally is a fucking donut that goes in the <laughs> giant stone donut that would go in there. A donut to make donuts. So I wonder what came first. Maybe you'll be able to tell us. I don't know, but the pottery wheel was the first like evidence they found of the wheel. That's and like then, a rotating thing. Right. The first thing they had. right. And then it was they didn't come up with it for transportation. Well, for someone another, must have like, been like three hundred years. Man, I'm seeing this bullshit like coffee cup that isn't even round. <laughs> so they had to come up with like a a wheel so they can make not right. shitty pottery. Pottery wheels, yeah. So I am going to interject a little sidebar here because you could argue that evidence shows that ancient cultures rolled stones on logs. Right. So is a log a wheel? Not well, really that's how they built the pyramids. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they would so put that was the way before this. Big ass rocks on sticks and then they, you know, right. roll them over the thing. Yeah. So regardless, in 3200 BC in Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq, the first wheel is found on Mesopotamian chariots. What are they made out of? They're made out of wood. Okay, so there's just like a word. Are they spoked or what nope, are they? No, it's a solid, basically, thing of wood. So how big are they? I don't know. Think of a chariot. They got to be probably like, I don't Where know, are they getting feet? these? Were these getting these trees in Iraq? <laughs> <Those> <laughs> trees? I don't know. I imagine they were like planks that they like put together and cut into oh, a Oh, you're circle. right. They probably were, and then they probably had like a, a steel band. Nope, not until later. Oh, okay. So we're just basically... <laughs> how are they gluing them together? How is I, don't, this? I did not look Jake. into this technology. I'm trying you to know get that I to know. the main fact here. <laughs> okay, so, sorry. Right, okay. So you have these wooden wheels on Mesopotamian chariots, and then it took another 1,500 years or so before we saw the next technological breakthrough in wheel design, the spoke. Yeah, right? there we go. So this breakthrough was formed from the need to go faster and the idea of using less material. They're like... We are in Iraq. We're running out of trees here, guys. Yeah, we gotta How conserve. about we use the less material? And well, make they're probably spokes. thinking of like, well, if they had the, if they had the pottery wheel figured out, they kind of understood inertia, right? I'm, so they understood yeah. that. So if they had to have understood, like, well, there's all this rotating mass is tough to keep going, tough to stop, right? Maybe they took them a while to fi- maybe like three hundred years to figure that out, but fifteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Egyptians are the ones what, that are. Here's the problem. What? What else do you have to do <laughs> at this time besides figure this shit out? Survive. I think. I think living like in general, just baseline was very difficult. Right? It's not like you're sitting at home in your air condition with your refrigerator and you're like, boop boop boop. It's not like back in the day. Everybody was. You think everybody was like a Greek philosopher writing poetry? Yeah. No. No. I think it was just thriving to survive at yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah. Probably right. So Egyptians first implemented a spoked wheel on their chariots we found and then you had to fast forward another hundred years and we saw the first iron bands or rims around the wheel now, that was a big deal because right. then you could on ride the them on the, Celtic co- on the cobblestone right 
which we should look up the history of the road. That's another. Like, okay. Yeah. I so when we were in Italy a couple of years ago, we went to um, what's what's the place? Pompeii. Pompeii. Thank I've you. I've been there. That's I, cool. <laughs> I was doing the exploding mountain like yeah. thing with my hands. Well, it's the only thing so in Italy that explodes. Pompeii. Right. So, but um, did you walk through like yeah. take the old tour where you can see how rutted yep. the old cobblestone roads were? They're from, destroyed from these. You think these our roads are bad? Wheels. Yeah, I know. So, anyways, well, that's why when I was in Cuba, they had wooden bricks. That's kind of genius. Yeah, so they didn't make noise and they were easily replaced. Right. You know? I like that idea. So, anyways, the like spoked wood wheel with the with the metal band around it is basically where things stayed for another three thousand years. There Jesus. was no innovation there. Why? I don't know. Well, I guess what <laughs> what comes with the innovation that comes next is kind of like rubber. Right, I mean rubber and we're, tubes. We're getting there. Yeah, we're but getting w- there. so without that stuff being invented, I mean, you don't. No one would even think. Cause right. You, all all you have is like like rubber from trees, which is not like it doesn't have any sort of tensile strength or anything like that. It's just goop. It is. Right? So there's no other. Why would you even think to invent something if you don't even have the materials yet in which to right. invent it? And I like your head's going because we're going to get there. All right. So, but first, the next innovation after 3,000 years of just a regular wheel is 1802. We've already fast forwarded to. Okay. When G.F. Bauer registered a patent for the first wire what was the f- tension. Wait, 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 wait. What? What was the fastest chariot? How fast did these guys go did, on these chariots? Oh, no. I did not look up chariot races. I need races. more information. <laughs> <laughs> we should have looked up more information on chariot racing and, and okay. death by chariot. Death by chariots? Yeah. yeah. You probably would have been, like, severed by these heavy wheels. Well, if you look at the old Spartacus movie, have you ever seen Spartacus? I don't, with, I uh, uh, what's his name? Are you going to get to the, like, sp- Yes, the- where they would drive, like, the spikes on the edge of the wheels into people's wooden wheels yes. and would just tear them apart. Oh, and they would just Chris, crash. just you wait. Okay. Just you wait. All okay, right. we're getting there. So 1802, G.F. Bauer registered a patent for the first wire tension spoked wheel. So this wire spoke consists of a length of wire threaded through the rim of the wheel and secured at both ends to the hub. Basically, your modern-day bicycle wheel is right. what we're talking about here. So over the next few years, the wire spoke evolved into a round tension spoke, as we see on bicycles, as I mentioned. And the invention of pneumatic tires wait, actually Wait, are the wire ones this. actually like... A physical wire, like a yeah, it wasn't like a firm spoke that we think of today. Okay, so it was actually it was wire. actually they like threaded wire through it, like cabling, like th- yes, okay, that's a good way of thinking of it, like cabling. They would thread the cable through it, and it would just kind of be suspended there with intention. Tensioning that must have been a nightmare. I can't imagine. I have yeah. enough trouble tying my shoes. <laughs> it's okay. basically the same thing, it but kind of complex not at all. Like yes, it that. is. Think of how you would have to tension that, right? You'd have to like grab it from the from the one spot and then slowly tighten it I see what you mean. all the way around, just like you do in your shoes when you start at the bottom. I don't and you ever t- tie my shoes that tight. Then you haven't played enough sports. Oh, yeah, like when you're doing like your high tops or yeah, cleats or anything okay. like that. I was or, thinking today. or like ice skates or hockey skates. All right. that stuff has like to be really boots, really I tight guess, too. Yeah, it's got to be tight. So it's like you start at the bottom and kind of work your way up. That's what they would have had to have done with these. Right. But with like a wheel. With all those spokes and a wire, that's night. That, to making sure it stays round? I know. <laughs> Jesus. You're just getting upset here thinking about this. Well, that's why a few years later they actually went to the tension spoke we see on bicycles today where it's basically like almost round stock. Yep. Like less wire, more. It's a steel rod, basically. Rod, thank you. That's what it's going for. So, and then the invention of pneumatic tires followed wire tension spokes and a patent for it was registered by R.W. Thompson in 1845. That was then further developed by John Dunlop. 
of Dunlop tire fame. Right. We're not going down that road, but I just threw that <laughs> in there. Okay, so another major invention that came about at the same time with the wire tension spoke was the pneumatic tire, as I said. Um, I'm rereading what I had because I pasted it twice. Well, these are all, what kind of tires are these? These are all non... Here we go. Now we're gone. Okay, I do go down the John Dunlop road. So 1888, John Dunlop replaced the hard rubber used in the bicycles back in the day with pneumatic tires. So they did have, like, rubber tires, but they were just solid rubber. And they right? had, a, and they had a, um, what's it called, a tube inside. No, these were tubeless. Oh, so they were now just, oh, they're, they're solid, solid rubber. rubber. Okay. So John Dunlop made the pneumatic tires with the tube in it. Right. Okay. Okay, got it. So, and do I get, oh, yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to wait to talk about the next rubber innovation here for a bit because this is about the time we're starting to come across these crazy automobiles right so carl benz is 1885 benz patent motor wagon is widely accepted kind of as the first car as we think of it so this was a three real three wheeled vehicle that used basically bicycle like wire wheels that we talked about and they were fitted with as we said the hard solid rubber and so the first people who thought about using it for automobile purposes were Andre and Edward Michelin, okay. right? Who later founded the famous tire company. Where are they from? Andre and Edward, uh, probably Italy. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't have that. Michelin just—it's not a very—it's not a name where you're like, oh yeah, that's German. Or you're right. It's, it's kind of an like, ambiguous name. It's not like Micheleno or something. Michelano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we're, it's funny because as I'm researching, you just keep hopping around to all these same like big tire names yeah. in the same like 10 year period. So in 1910, B.F. Goodrich invented a longer life tire by adding carbon to the rubber. So now it's not just the raw kind of resin out of the tree. Yeah. They add carbon to it. And that's why some of the like first model T's you see, they have like like white rubber. It's because they didn't have carbon added to it. Oh, okay. So, that, okay, gotcha. So now, like, tires, I'm sure they actually just dye them now. But back in the day, they became black because they added carbon to the rubber, it. and it made it more resilient and last longer. So over here in the States, Ford Model T used what were called wooden artillery wheels, named after the wooden style of wheels used on cannons, basically. Right? So that wasn't a wire wheel. That was just your old-fashioned wood-spoked wheel that you may have seen. Right. So this was unlike Carl Benz's first vehicle, The Model T quote put America on wheels, but those wheels had pneumatic tires invented by Mr. Dunlop, and there was, however, a big difference between those tires and the ones used today. So, So did those have tubes in them? They were made of white carbonless rubber, as I mentioned. And here's what's great about it. Yeah, but they didn't have like a conventional valve stem built into the tire. No, they were pneumatic though. What do you think the uh, life expectancy of a tire? Fifty miles. So. Okay, kind of. So the the tread had a life expectancy of 2,000 miles. Oh, great. Which still isn't great. But that's actually really optimistic because a tire only lasted for about 30 to 40 miles before it needed repairs. Oh, so so just because a tire lasts that long, you would have to, like, have punctures that you'd repair and the tube would get pinched and all these other things that you'd keep doing to get the 2,000 miles out of your tire. Like, your tire guy was the man. He basically was like... I think you were your own tire guy. Because you get 30 miles from your farm, (laughs) right? And what are you going to do? Yeah, I suppose. There's no AAA. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, we're talking about the wheels here. Yeah, sorry. So we'll get back to Model T and many of the cars of the era were running those wood spoke wheels. Then in 1916, Dayton of Dayton Wire Wheel was established in Dayton, Ohio. 
And this would become the premier designer and manufacturer of wire wheels in America for the next 95 years and beyond. So do you know Dayton Wheels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's like the lowrider exactly. gold. So, like the bazillion spoke wheel. Yeah, they were like 300 spokes or what you're going to roll on your like your, your lowered Impala. Impala. Yeah. Right. So a couple of fun facts about Dayton Wheels and the company. The Wright brothers actually depended on wire wheels from Dayton for their Kitty Hawk Flyer. I wonder when they got appropriated by lowriding culture. We're like, yep, this is what we're running. I think it was like fairly recent in their history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Henry Ford then shows Dayton wire wheels for all the Model Ts after they switch from wood wheels. And uh, Charles Lindbergh had them on the Spirit of St. Louis. Those were Dayton wire wheels. They're also used in the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Harley Davidson um, also has all their like wire wheels for their motorcycles. They're technically made by Dayton. Okay. And uh, around the same time in Europe. So this is like the longest automotive wheel manufacturer, basically, that's I think still is. around. Right. Because what did I say? 1916. Yeah. yeah. So they made them for the old Fords, and they're still making them they're now. They're still making them. So Dayton, albeit for a different, totally different, different crowd. Totally different crowd. Right. So and then so that's kind of the American wire wheel manufacturer go to. And then the same time over in Italy in April 1922, so a little later, Rudge Whitworth Milano was established in, of course, Milan, Italy. And after just 12 months of being in business, Alfa Romeo, Auto Union, Bianchi, Lancia, and Ferrari all began. Isn't that Bianchi? Bianchi, you're right. I, just, okay. I only know them from the bikes, actually. Yeah, yeah, same here. But So they all began equipping their racing and luxury cars with these Barani, Barani wire wheels. And actually, by 1955, the uh, Whitworth Barani Wheel Company, uh, 10% of their entire manufacturing went to race cars, which I thought was a cool little fact. Yeah, for sure. So Ferrari was Barani's biggest customer of the time, and the alliance dated back to 1924 when Enzo Ferrari himself competed in uh, the Acerbo Cup in Pescara, Italy. I don't know what that is. I haven't heard of that one. Right. And so he was in an Alfa Romeo. I think this is before he started his company, Ferrari. But it had these Rudge Whitworth Milano wire wheels on them. And he was so impressed, I guess, by their performance that when he started making Ferraris, he was like, I'm going to use that wheel. The wheels are are like new and fresh when you're like, yeah, I really like these new style wheels. I'm going to put it on all my cars. As if you can really tell a difference. I mean, you and I couldn't tell a difference of like if you put BBS or... HRE is you wouldn't be like right. I'm definitely driving on BBS wheels right now. You right. have no idea whatsoever. But back then, if the wheels are flexing and doing all kinds of weird exactly. shit, you could probably pick it up pretty good. Yeah. So we'll get into the technical aspect a little bit, but it's interesting that this Ferrari Barani com- collaboration uh, was the relationship uh, lasted more than six decades. So Barani wire wheels were either standard equipment or installed are they still as around? an optional upgrade. Yes, and they were on like. Ferrari, Maserati, Aston Martin, Jaguar, Alfa Romeo, Bugatti, many others. Um, and they're kind of like, when you think of the Ferrari GTO, mm-hmm. like those are the classic Barani wheels. Right, with the, the knockoffs. Knockoff wheels, yes. yeah. So advantages of wire wheels, we'll get into the technical aspect, were no mystery. They were lighter. They actually were stronger than like a, a wood or, or whatever else would be <laughs> would at the think, time, right? would have just been a steel wheel, like yeah. a steel stamp. Right, so they were much lighter. Right. Than well, a stamped steel wheel was that's, the biggest the, thing. That's the only other option there really was. Right. And, the, you know, they um, they were more precision, precisely made. You could balance them out just by retentioning them, basically. Right. So there were a lot of benefits, especially like I said, in racing. Imagine in doing that with wire. Hmm? I know. It, it would suck. suck. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I talked about them being lighter than steel wheels. And the single knockoff nut made for fast tire changes 
which we're going to get to in a min- minute, but of course, non-racers sought them out because they provided an elegant, sporty look as well. So it not did. just for race cars. So uh, just got to carry around a little brass hammer in your trunk. Exactly. I'm glad you know about this. Okay. So by the 50s, most sports cars use or wire lead, wheels. Or lead hammer as well. Yes. Yeah. Or I learned leather. A leather hammer. You have like shot in a leather hammer. Yeah, I guess like that would work too. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm Probably didn't get that at Harbor bit. Freight. No. Should we talk about my Harbor Freight experience? Uh, I we'll, shouldn't be we'll allowed to go in there Monday. unsupervised. Okay. Um, so it, w- I found this interesting. You talk about like those Daytons of today on the whole lowriders. They're yeah. like 300 spokes. So lower powered sports cars at the time, such as the MGT series, featured 48 spokes, while higher power cars used 60 or 72 spokes during the 1960s. Um, and like the glamorous Ferraris and the Lamborghini Miura, those all had the 72 spokes. So you basically uh, knew the performance of the car just by how many spokes they had on yeah, the wheel. That's, that's like I bragging, never knew right? that. That was kind of cool. Um, yeah. And so we're talking about why they need all these extra spokes. You can imagine all the extreme stresses, accelerating, cornering, braking, all impose different loads from different directions on it. And sometimes all at the same time. Right. And this gets transmitted between the wheel rim, the tire to the rim and then to the hub. And it has to cope with all these different directions of stresses. Spokes must be loaded in tension. Just like vertical plus lateral forces. Exactly. So it's basically pulling in all these different lateral and forward basically compression as well all these different directions so how do they seal the inside of these wheels do you think there was like uh they must have run like a silicone bead around where all the spokes were we'll get to that in a minute but they had to use tubes tube tires okay so they still use tubes yep so uh sideway forces oh so that's the other thing if you think about it like a bike wheel you're not getting as much like lateral force on a bike wheel as you would like a race car right so how do you have kind of the lateral strength to a wheel if you're pushing on the inside hub and the rim itself needs to stay where it is, it would flex. So what they did is they actually arranged the spokes in a cross pattern, as you know, so that it's basically pulling and you have a triangle. It's basically an X-brace. Exactly. So you have an X-brace between each of those spokes. Um, I found this interesting, too. Chrome spokes aren't allowed in competition because of the effect of hydrogen embrittlement has on the plating process. Ah. So they were all stainless at the time. Stainless is... is kind of weak too, isn't it? I, I don't know. Not as much as if you are replating. I suppose if you're plating like time. a thin something right. like a thin rod, it could definitely right. catalyze with something. So basically, they're like, don't use uh, re-chromed spoked wheels. Right. So wire spoked wheels were typically restrained from flying off into a cornfield by the center lock hub, as we talked about, and that was actually patented by Rudge Whitworth, which was a bicycle and later motorcycle manufacturer. So the Whitworth knockoff wheels is kind of what you're thinking of and what you hear about. And this method permitted quick tire changes and wheel changes simply by sliding a wire wheel onto the tapered spline hub. They were on the left side. Okay, so think of this cap or this lug nut that it has ears on it that yeah. you use the hammer to knock it on and off. I suppose it's got to be reversed on the other side because you don't want it to loosen up as exactly. the car is driving. The elliptical movement of the rotating hub would tighten the threaded cap. So you actually were only supposed to just tap it on and drive in the car would tighten them to yeah, their okay. specific how, spec. How about never going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so the hubs on the left side were actually, I'm, I'm, I had it backwards. Left side were standard and the ones on the right were backward thread. Sure. So clockwise. So, and to make things even more complex, these thread directions are reversed on the center lock hubs of some cars like the Lotus Elan had a different like internal knockoff center 
and those were backwards. So what was at this time? We're talking like fifties, sixties of some of these cars right now. Was it? What's wrong with casting? So is casting not good enough? Is it? Why aren't we just casting wheels? What's the problem? It comes down to weight and cost. I would say cost, but I mean, an aluminum wheel doesn't weigh that much less than a a steel wheel, does it? On and off for the trade-off of strength, right? I mean, a cast wheel is pretty strong compared to a wire wheel. It was interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I just. I don't. (laughs) I don't have weight specs here for like a aluminum cast wheel at the time versus these. Right. But I will get to why they finally switched out and these became out of vogue is kind of interesting. But I, I did write a little section here about these hammers and how now original knockoff hammers are so collectible. Why is that? Just because they didn't make many of them the original to the wheels and they kind of just have this charm to them. They're made with like you have the wooden handle, you either have a lead head to it or it's um, copper or brass or or even, like I said, rawhide tips on a wood hammer. Well, I've seen like and that's I've just, seen them in the back of people's cars where they're just beat up. Oh, yeah. And they look cool. <laughs> they look really cool. That's it. They yeah. just have the charm to them because they're so soft not to um, mar, the chrome. mar the chrome on the lug off, yeah. lug ears. So, yeah, you see these things, and it looks like they've just been bludgeoned. Yeah, you don't want to get hit with one of those things. They're all sorts of messed up. No kidding. So by 1912, we're rewinding. Well, how much are we talking these hammers are worth. I mean, I didn't look on eBay. They were just talking Jeez. about how this is like a whole other. Okay. I, w- I want to know what they're worth. <laughs> Should we get a couple? <laughs> yeah, just I, don't, to have? I don't know. I wouldn't have any use for them. Um, and what's interesting is, so you talk about these knockoff systems. It was universal on all GP grids across Europe. Like this is every car used these at the right. time. And wire wheels remain the standard in sports car and even Formula One racing until the early 60s when torsional loads from better tire compounds led to wire spokes actually snapping off in competition. It was just too much torque. It was too much torque. And it's basically the side load, I think, is what got it more than anything else. So stiffer aluminum and magnesium wheels ended up being the better solution. However, the knockoff center lock lugs continued to be used on racing cars with solid wheels even. So think of Center locks. Well, Basically. right, but they still have the knockoff lugs on right. them. So think of like the Cobras and the Ford GT40s of the era. They have a aluminum wheel, but they still have that knockoff with the big for the ears speed, on them. so you can exactly. change the tires out. So this was eventually changed out for just like you said, a regular center lock kind of hexagonal lug nut with the advent of the air wrench, because turns out that's even faster than sitting in there and Beating banging on it with your hammer. <laughs> yeah. So on the street, however, center lock lugs also weren't uh they, they went to the wayside and you'll love this because they were because i don't like them <laughs> no you'll like it because uh they were actually regulated off the streets oh good why did somebody die once so yes but that has not that really doesn't have to do much with it so the knockoff ears were uh outlawed via safety regulations in both the u.s and germany in the why? late 60s federal motor vehicle safety standards outlawed any wheels or wheel covers with winged projections for 1968 onwards that particular regulation was included in the something something revisions due to ralph nader's efforts fucking nader <laughs> god and what did he what did nader's what was his problem with these i wheels? don't know but i love all the anecdotes that said uh, apparently legislators had been traumatized by the slice and dice hubs on the chariot race in ben-hur and james bond 
Sean's Austin Aston Martin at the time as well. What a joke, Nader! So I can't were, believe that guy's not dead. There was only one. Well, I, I bet that guy has never done an unsafe thing in his life. He was like the he, he got rid of the Corvair. He got he's the one that made headlights all like sealed beam, where every headlight was just like the square stupid yeah. sealed was beam. Was he head of the DOT? Is that no, no? I don't think so. Okay, so I think he was just, just an advocate. Didn't like cars. And, well, he wrote not safe at any speed, didn't he? Yeah, that was the Corvair. Yeah. basically, it's what that did guy, that in? What a mastermind. Thank God for Nader. What would we have done without sure. him saving us from, from our from wheels, wheels with eared projections? <laughs> there, I did look into this. There was only one like um, anecdote I could find of someone dying from these, and it was because someone's long scarf got tangled in it. <laughs> it, was, oh, no! it was a famous dancer, Isadora Duncan, was killed in 1927 when her long scarf got tangled around the the ears of the knockoffs. That would be a in her horrif- Bugatti. Horrifying. Can you imagine <laughs> just the... Yeah, it gets pulled neck. out. I yeah. can't imagine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as with other, many other things in our history, the change was prompted by lower costs as steel disc wheels were cheaper to make and the aluminums were stronger. Um, with this kind of manufacturing process, the rim could, be, rim could be rolled out of a straight strip of metal and then the disc itself could be stamped and then welded together. So the components were welded, riveted in some cases, resulting in a wheel that was relatively light, stiff, and resistant damage, and most importantly, easily produced cheaply. I want to talk about one of my pet peeves here, though. A okay. rim is a part of a wheel. You okay. don't have rims on your car, Chris. That's you have true. wheels. Yep, I agree. I don't like it either. When okay. someone's like, I got new rims. I'm Thank like, you. No. no. You don't. You got new wheels. <laughs> Jesus. You only got new rims if you had a spoked wheel with a with a knockoff, and you got new rims because you or got or with a three piece wheel, right? Well, then so, you got a new barrel, right? I call or it a sometimes barrel. they call the outer barrel the rim. Okay, I or usually I call do. that a lip. Okay, yeah, the lip too. So that, of course, we saw more in racing. Because it was modular, you could make different widths and combinations. On that note, do you want to, while we're talking right about three-piece and lips and inners and outers, do you want to talk about, do you want to, should we play that voicemail that we save for next week? Should we do that today? Sure. What do you think? I, yeah. Is there a good point in your discussion that we I mean, do we're that? getting close to the end here. Well, let's just, uh, let's do it at the end okay. when we're all done and yeah. we'll play through so, it. We'll go through so it. So we're talking about three-piece wheels, basically, where you have the center face of the wheel. Think of that as kind of like a plate, a dinner plate. And then you have the barrels, which sandwich that together. So you have your inner barrel towards the inside of the car and then the lip on the outside or rim as it. I, I'll let that fly. You can call that a rim. Okay. Okay. And, um, of course, another reason for the uh, decline in spoked wheels beyond this technological adv- innovation is the development of tubeless tires right so with any spoked rim that i found you basically had to run a tubed tire because it's impossible to seal that that outer rim from all the spokes that have to protrude through so um oh yeah lower profile tires are also more practical without inner tubes but there is i will talk about some cases where spoked wheels are still practical Bicycles are one, and motorcycles, because there's an inherent flexing and give to them. So especially off-road motorcycles, you won't find, like, an aluminum wheel on an old, like, on a... No, it becomes part of the suspension, basically. Exactly. So, um, yeah, impact resistance, and they're less affected by crosswind as well on bikes. 
on bicycles. I should when say. I was talking to uh, one of the guys that had done the trip across South America on his bike, there was many a time where he said he was at like a 45 degree angle from the wind Jeez. in Patagonia driving his bike. I where, can't imagine and that. And the bike would just constantly slip out from under him. He kept crashing over and over and over <laughs> just because the wind was just so brutal that it would just, the bike would just go whoop and it would just slip out. Wow. I mean, they're going like seven miles an hour or less. And it would just, the wind would just go kick the bike out from under him because they were at such a lean. Right. But they didn't have anywhere to stay and it was bitter. So they just kept going. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but with this, are gone the days of seeing spoked sports cars flying down the racetrack because of that. Yeah. So, but yeah, so we did have a listener question because as we teased in the beginning, we had the phone number, which is 612 Luggo Belt. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a question. So let me play this audio that I have right here. Maybe. Guys. Now let me let me now let me play it. Okay. How's it going, guys? Really loving the podcast. Really love hearing it. Um, so I was noticing you guys talking about wheels a lot lately on your social media, especially with the uh, 911 getting your new wheels and you being very indecisive and it's kind of funny to watch the change. <laughs> you from being Chris. 52s to back to ATSs. But my big question is, I am pretty unknowledge to offsets and doing all that other crazy like wheels to me are just a mystery um but i also find them to be an extremely important aesthetic piece to changing the entire appearance of a car but i just can't understand how to figure out an offset at all i've been there Um, i mean like when you want to change the size of your wheel and there's the factory offsets, but the more you affect the... I think we get the point. The so wheel. let's... Should we let's, pause there? Yeah, let's, let's just so leave it at that. And he we'll basically is, is curious about offsets. And how it works and how it's applied. And I think uh, he's probably talking about he's got a GTI or a Mark II, I think. And he okay. said he's got some 16 by 8 wheels. And I think he's probably trying to balance, like, okay, it's 16 by 8 now. What's the new offset? Sure. Which... For me, it's always been like, well, what wheels just fit on this car? You just ask somebody, right. and you put the wheels on. So there's so, been times that I've struggled with, like, geez, how's this? You get how so do you, you calculate want, so offset? It's easy when it's like, oh, this is a stock offset. I'll just get the same. But if you're getting a custom wheel that you're trying to make fit inside the mm-hmm. wheel well, there's measurements that have to be done or different widths, etc. Right. So I'll go very um, kind of square one. Sure. Wheels, you have of course the the width or diameter. Yep. And then you have. Like I should say, the track the, width. The track width, thank you, of how wide I think the rubber or patch is, right? And then when your wheel mounts to the hub, it mounts at some point in that track width. Right. And so if it's exactly in and the it's center. It's not always where the face is. Exactly. So you have the face of the wheel, which is kind of the outside. Yep. And then behind that, you have the mounting surface where it bolts right. to the hub. Right. And that's usually kind of pulled in for brake clearance, etc. But it, offset refers to how far offset that mounting surface is from the center of the wheel. Like if you were to look at the wheel directly from above, right in the middle. Yes. like From you, outside of rim to inside of rim. Right in the middle would be ET0. And what does ET stand for? I have no Did we idea. we look that up? No? I don't know. Um, I'll let you explain it a little bit further and I'll figure out what that means. Okay. Yeah. So a zero offset is basically, it's not offset at all from the center of the wheel, the width wise. So if you add a wider lip or make the, uh, mounting surface go inside the car, that's basically giving you, yeah, go ahead. It's Einpresstiefe. Oh, so it's German. It's German. ET ET indicates the difference between the mounting surface and the geometric center of the wheel. There we go. So it just means ET. Einschef. 
Einpress. Einpress. Teffe. Teffe. There yeah, we go. Teffe, yeah. Teffe. Yeah, so if you have a wider, if you have the mounting surface further inside the wheel, towards the center of the car, right? You're basically making the outside lip bigger or deeper. That is a negative offset. Well, right? not, you're not necessarily making the, the lip bigger. No. If you're moving... You're it, just making it farther away from the car. If you're moving the mounting face depth towards the car, that's adding negative offset. Correct. Okay. If you add like an inner barrel or basically move the face out towards the outside of the wheel, that is adding positive out offsets. The way I think right. about it is it's positive if you're pushing away from the inside of the car, right? Mm -hmm. So like front-wheel drive cars traditionally have more of a positive offset than rear-wheel drive cars, which I don't know why that is. It has something to do, I think, with the steering angle and everything else. But Probably. That's, Scrub that, radius. Yeah. Growing up, that's kind of how I knew that was positive offset was the wider outside there. Um, what else do we talk about here? As the offset is lower, wheel will move further back under the fender. So if you're trying to get perfect fitment, right, then you need to know the offset lower will move the wheel inside the fender. And you really need to know kind of the starting offset, as you said, about what your factory wheel is to figure out and do the math on what the final offset is. Right. So desired. you can basically put like a factory wheel on and then do some measurements. You want to measure to like the strut because you don't want to run your tire into your strut assembly right. if you've got a McPherson strut assembly. Right. And then you want to measure out to the fender and or the fender lip. We should also clarify you're measuring in millimeters. So right. offset is measured in millimeters. So if you have a 38... Otherwise, it's called backspacing. I think they measure backspacing in inches, like okay. for American wheels. Yes, you're right. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Good point. Um, so basically, this can be boiled down to two things. Okay. Lip increase in millimeters is a net reduction... In, I'm, I'm sorry. Barrel increase in millimeters is a net reduction in offset. Right. Lip increase in millimeters is a net increase in offset. So those are the two things that you need to remember. So those two things. Right. So that's that's basically it. So if you have like a specific question about a wheel and you're wondering if it'll fit, you can always just send us a message on Facebook and we'll try and help. Sure. I know it, it's, it is confusing. And I've, there's no, been, it is. There's Even been times when I'm just like, I got to find a guy that knows wheels and just ask that guy. But if you once you start to figure out and look at you might want to look up an image because you can see some diagrams, really help. which helps quite a bit, too. So. With that, should we call it a day? Yeah, that's our kind of wheel, wire wheel, and we threw a little uh, question in there as well. All right, guys, we will see you on Monday, and I will have quite the surprise by then. Take care, guys.